Hello, and welcome to the Paperclip podcast. I'm Mehir Sharma of the Observer Research Foundation. And in this podcast, we are going to take a look together at the stories that matter to India and the world. In Paperclip, we step back from the headlines in your morning paper and explain what really lies behind them. And to do that, we look at cutting-edge research and commentary from across the world, and especially from my ORF colleagues. Now, the first three installments of Paperclip are about how India can approach the fresh tensions that have opened up with the People's Republic of China after the clash in Ladakh. We want here to take a look behind the claims and counterclaims and examine what is really possible, not just what we are told is happening and what we can do. Last time, in the first episode of Paperclip, I suggested that we can break down how to manage the new and aggressive China under President Xi Jinping along three dimensions. Hard power, soft power, and economic power. And we discovered too in that episode that in terms of hard power, gold military might, we are punching way below our weight. Partly because we in India have underfunded our army, navy, and air force in recent years. Today, we're going to talk about how economic factors into this equation. And again, we must begin calmly and rationally. Because the days when the world could talk about India and China in the same breath as rising economic powers are done. For the past two, perhaps three decades, China has far outpaced us. Today, the Chinese economy is, in per capita terms, as well as overall, five times richer than India's. And it is therefore more than five times as influential. But this is how former RBI governor Subbarao put it. China is a middle-middle-income country. India is a low-middle-income country. China's fear is that it will get locked into a middle-income trap. India's fear is that it will get locked into a low-income trap. Growth in both India and China was driven by investment, but China's investment boom has continued, whereas India's investments petered out. Governor Subbarao is right, and he's even more right now that the COVID-19 pandemic has hit us differentially, because the pandemic is only going to make it harder for us to recover any ground. Because the Chinese economy is recovering much faster than India's. Indeed, than most others around the world. For the foreseeable future, India is going to be dealing with the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our government in particular, both in the states and at the union, will be desperately short of money. And our debt will pile up to dangerous levels, perhaps, you know, 90% of GDP. The kind of thing that can seriously destabilize the economic activities of a country at our level of income. Fighting an economic battle against the only dynamic economy in the world at this time would appear therefore almost impossible. But there are nevertheless many steps we can take, even on the economic front. We need to ensure, however, that these steps are such that they do not weaken us. We cannot afford to fall further behind. And this is where some of the government's recent moves have been rightly criticized by economists. One of the things that India has been doing, for example, is slowing down Chinese goods at the border. Informal instructions have been sent out to the ports to make sure that every Chinese shipment is given a full going over by docks inspectors and so on. And anyone with any experience of Indian bureaucracy knows how slow it can be even when it is not trying. Imagine how long it can delay things if it actually tries. Now you might think this is a small price and one worth paying if it harms the Chinese economy. 
So why are people like Transport and Small and Medium Enterprises Minister Nitin Gadkari speaking out publicly against it? Because the fact is that it mainly hurts producers and consumers in India. And some of those most worried by this decision are, in fact, foreign investors in the Indian economy who depend upon these shipments to keep their factories in India working. Foreign investors talk to each other. India already has a reputation as an unsafe and unreliable place to do business. And this cavalier interception of important supply chains is only going to enhance that reputation. The fact is that without foreign investment, we might as well give up on the economic race with China. In other words, an apparent attempt to contest China is one that is only going to push us in India further behind China's economy. Nor is this the only way that India has decided to shoot itself in its own foot. It has decided to try and keep out Chinese goods, for example. All very well. But is this more than a pinprick for the Chinese economy? Arvind Panagariya, the economist who was the first head of uh, Nithi Ayog, points out that the numbers are against us. He says, in 2018, China's exports to India were only 3.1% of its total exports. In contrast, India's exports to China were 5.8% of its total exports. Chinese exports to India may be four times its imports from India in absolute terms, but once we take the difference in economic size into account, India's ability to inflict greater damage on China begins to look suspect. The fact is, again, that China will shrug off a 3% hit on its exports. But the cost to our economy of a blanket ban on Chinese goods will be even greater, because those are 15% of Indian imports and include many vital components and raw materials for our industry. Worse, we may be dissuaded by international trading rules from targeting Chinese goods directly. And so, we may have to try and minimize all imports. Atmanir Bharat, or self-reliant India, may turn into fortress India. And this would be terrible news for our economy. In today's world, the only path to prosperity is through becoming part of the big global value chains that crisscross the world. Try to raise barriers to the world and you will never become part of those chains, and you will stay poor. Only the companies making substandard goods in India and exploiting Indian workers and consumers will get rich. We know this will happen because it has happened before. This was in fact the very mistake that we rolled back in 1991, and we should not repeat it. Our economic measures to counter China will thus have to be, by necessity, defensive. We will have to make sure that cash linked to the Chinese state does not flow into India and buy up crucial assets, such as, for example, control of our digital infrastructure. And there is a cost to this as well. For example, the startup sector has grown addicted to Chinese money. But this time, it is a cost worth paying. And finally, we will need to join the case that others are making, that China is not playing by the rules of the game when it comes to global trade. Japan, Europe, and the US have been arguing for some time that the World Trade Organization rules that treat China as a developing country are outdated because China may no longer be, deserve to be treated as any ordinary developing country. But we have fought this for too long, mainly because we are worried that we will lose our status in India as a developing country too. But as Sobara said so brutally, we are not in the same league as China. Realistically, our best bet is to make sure that the post-COVID rules of the trading game 
increase the costs of the People's Republic. And in order to manage that, we have to ensure that the world sees that we are a responsible global player. Harshpanth points out that any arbitrary trade behavior on India's part will jeopardize its diplomatic campaign to target China as a great disruptor. And so we come to diplomacy, the gentle art of working well with others. That, as a component of soft power, will be the subject of the third installment of Paperclip. And I think I'm not giving anything away when I say it will be a lot more optimistic than this one has been. This has been Paperclip, and thank you for listening.